Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Have you ever felt like you've tried everything to heal from the pain of sexual abuse and yet nothing seems to really be helping? Well, one of the reasons why most people struggle to break free from the pain of past child abuse is because the techniques out there are positioned as a one-size-fits-all answer. What I want you to know is that there are actually three distinct phases on the path to recovery. And I'd love to share with you about these phases what issues you must resolve to move to the next phase, and what kinds of support you'll need in order to move forward as quickly and completely as possible. The road to recovery is much easier when you know what stage you're in and what to do next. So don't hesitate. Go to www.rachelgrantcoaching.com slash checklist and get your nine-page guide today. Now, on to our show. Welcome, everybody, to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant, and for those of you who don't yet know me, I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007 and I'm the author of Beyond Surviving, The Final Stage of Recovery from Sexual Abuse. I work with survivors who are sick and tired of feeling broken and unfixable, and I help them reclaim their lives to live happy, whole, healthy. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at rachelgrantcoaching.com. 
Now, today we have a really special guest with us, Neil Jaffe, who's going to be sharing with us about the documentary he co-produced and wrote entitled Off the Record, Justice Denied to Child Sex Abuse Survivors. So I want to tell you a little bit about Neil before we jump in. He's an attorney and legal counsel to the Vertigo Charitable Foundation, which advocates on behalf of adult survivors of child sex abuse. And it's in that capacity that he ended up co-producing and writing two documentaries on the legal system's handling of survivor cases. This is such a critical, critical piece of the process for so many survivors. And, you know, being able to look at what happens in that process and where things are not working and how we might be able to do things to improve that area is so important. So I, I can't wait to really hear from him and draw on his expertise. In addition, he also writes a blog and speaks at conferences on legal rights of survivors. He's also a member of the National Crime Victims Bar Association and the National Alliance of Victims' Rights Attorneys. So we have got with us today a powerhouse advocate who's really out there in the trenches working for survivors to get justice. And uh, let's hear from Neil. Welcome. So glad to have you here, Neil. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for that introduction. I hope I can live up to it in the podcast. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Okay. Okay. No, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So one of the things I'd like to start off with is to just hear a little bit from you about your journey. You know, how did you find your way here, you know, into this world of working, um, you know, as an advocate and as an attorney um, for uh, survivors of sex abuse? Well, the, my, my journey has been a somewhat unusual one. Uh, I was a federal public defender in Washington, D.C. for over 20 years, uh, representing indigent clients charged with federal crimes. Hmm. Uh, I was always kind of interested in this subject because I found that many of my clients had been abused as children, uh, some sexually, physically, emotionally, um, and I always felt that that contributed to their becoming involved in the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. So so the issue was always one of interest to me. Um, and then at one point I had a summer intern who was a college student um, who ended up the following year disclosing that he had been sexually abused as a child. Okay. His family came to me because I had become fairly friendly and close uh, to this intern. Uh, his family came to me as kind of an unofficial consultant uh, because they were seeking to hold his perpetrator accountable under the law and wanted to know what they should do, where do they begin, who do they go to. And as I became more involved in that process, uh, I became more and more interested in this issue, and I realized how uh, difficult it was for survivors to try to obtain justice. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, uh, his family formed a small foundation organization, which you mentioned, Vertigo Charitable Foundation, and asked me to become their legal counsel. So I left my public defending position 
and uh, have been doing this now for the last seven years. My goodness. Wow, that's really um, a beautiful journey. And um, I think oftentimes advocates find their way into this world in similar, like we just, you start to hear over and over how prominent, you know, this is. Uh, I often think of it as an epidemic, right? There's so yes. many people who are, are impacted by this and there are just the systems that are, well, in place but not in place really um, to support people, um you know, so we need great people like you and um, who have a heart for this work. Now, along the way um, in this work, tell me a little bit about Vertigo because that leads us into, you know, ending up, you know, doing your films, which I want to definitely talk about today. But the, the work that you are doing there at Vertigo Charitable Foundation, what kind of, you know, services are you providing for those of you, the, those of the, uh, our listeners who are thinking, wow, this might be a great resource for me, what can they expect when they um, reach out? Sure. W what we don't do is we don't uh, represent survivors in court. We uh, do consult with survivors who are contemplating going through the legal system or who are in the legal system and are dissatisfied uh, either with their representation or with uh, the system itself and are looking for additional help. We consult with those folks. Uh, we try to help them find lawyers if that's what they are seeking. Uh, we sometimes refer them uh, to psychologists or therapists uh, if they need uh, counseling in addition to, uh, or I should say, in support of their uh, journey through the legal system. And uh, we've made the two documentaries. So the first one, which is uh, Pursuit of Truth, Adult Survivors of Child Sexual Abuse Seeking Justice, uh, we made in 2013. And that film is an overview of the legal system and consists of both survivors' stories of their journeys in the legal system and experts mm -hmm. in the field of, of uh, child sex abuse litigation. Uh, the, the second film, Off the Record, uh, which was released in 2016, focuses more on what happens in survivor cases outside the courtroom, uh, not on the case docket, away from the public eye matters that are not of record, uh, but that negatively impact uh, the rights of survivors in the legal system. Yeah. So we have, we've spent a lot of time in the last several years uh, researching these films, uh, making the films, producing them, and then screening them all around the country. Uh, conferences, professional conferences, victims' rights conferences, We've met with law enforcement, police, private lawyers. Uh, we've lobbied legislatures uh, with our films. Um, so essentially we've been advocating for the legal rights of survivors. Mm -hmm. Wow, wonderful. And can people, regardless of where they're um, based or located, reach out to you? Can it, From anywhere around the country, can people reach out? Yes, they can. Uh, they can they can do that through uh, our websites. Uh, Vertigo has a website, vcfhelp.org, and awesome. both of the oh, both of the films have separate websites: pursuitoftruthfilm.com, offtherecordfilm.com, 
And uh, I'm happy for survivors or anyone else interested uh, or who has questions about the films or the legal system uh, to contact me directly. Okay. Uh, my, my email is thejustice, that's one word, thejustice101 at gmail.com. Right on. I love that email handle. <laughs> it's like, we are going to do it. Justice. Awesome, awesome. So um, thank you. And we'll we'll be sure to, you know, repeat those websites for everyone um, at okay. the end of our conversation as well. But it's good to get those, you know, kind of named up front. So, you know, uh, from attorney to writer and co-producer, uh, tell me about that journey. <laughs> well, it's interesting that... Uh I had had no experience, absolutely no experience in, in filmmaking, and, and my co-producer, director, Valerie Gibson, who's the founder of Vertigo, uh, is in the medical field and has had had no experience filmmaking either. So it mm-hmm. was uh, quite a novel experience for, for both of us. Uh, we kind of learned as we went along. We had great people uh, working with us, a terrific cinematographer, and a great film editor, and mm-hmm. we had, uh, in both films, uh, the survivors uh, who were courageous enough to tell their stories uh, were, were just um, invaluable, and really there was very little that we had to do with them other than to ask them to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. So that that really helped us along, and in terms of writing, I was an appellate lawyer for many years in the public defender office, so I'm quite used to writing. Uh, nice. In fact, folks over here tell me I write a little bit too much. So uh, <laughs> Cut it down, Neil. Edit, edit, edit. edit. <laughs> right, exactly. Not a 50-page brief. Cut it down. <laughs> nice. So um, off the record, I uh, had the opportunity the other day to sit down and watch this film. And, you know, it really is tracking the lives of three survivors from the moment of them, you know, how they made their decision to move forward um, with bringing a court, you know, a case to the court. Um, and then everything that transpired after that decision. And so you really focus in on, you know, these three specific stories. Uh, how did you decide, you know, um, who to have in your film? What were what was your thinking behind that? Well, we, we have uh, networked uh, for a number of years now uh, with other professionals and other groups and... Uh, have contacted numerous survivors. Um, we interviewed all of the survivors, of course, who were in the film, uh, who were in both films, and had them fill out certain information about themselves and about their cases. And in terms of the three survivors who are in off the record, we felt that their cases illustrated many of the points that we wanted to make as to events that occurred kind of out of their reach, out of their control, and uh, off the record that negatively impacted their cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that because, as you're saying, there are all these things that are happening behind the scenes that don't get tracked, um, that don't get you know um, really formally documented, that have an impact. Can you tell us what some of those things are, what we were really wanting to highlight and, and draw out about you know what, what does go on behind the scenes? Sure. Uh, Two of the survivor cases involve uh, criminal cases, 
Sherry and Tammy uh, both filed criminal complaints against their abusers, both of whom were uh, family members. Um, and the first step in that process is screening by the police. Uh, as Sherry uh, talks about in the in the film, uh, the police officer who first interviewed her threatened to, uh, to give her a lie detector test, didn't understand why she was coming forward, even though she had explained that her uh, father was now the stepfather of a minor child and she was very concerned about that child's welfare. Right. So the police screening process, uh, the prosecutor's uh, discretion in deciding what cases to prosecute, uh, Tammy talks about um, how she wanted uh, the prosecution to go forward in her case against her uncle. She wanted to go to trial. She was told by the first prosecutor that they couldn't even bring a case. Mm-hmm. Um, then a second prosecutor did bring the case for her, but uh, she had difficulties in dealing with a prosecutor who required her to accept a guilty plea, and her uncle was sentenced to essentially uh, probation and not having to register on the sex offender registration list. So um, those are those are some of the things that happen in the criminal justice system that are outside the courtroom that people don't really hear about mm-hmm. and that survivors, survivors don't really have much control over what happens uh, yeah. through you know, with the police screening and prosecutors' uh, decisions as to what cases to take. Yeah, so it's, you know, from the very first step in into things, it sounds like there are so many there are so many people involved in this process, from the police to the lawyers to the judges, and the when the people involved are not trauma-informed, right? They don't have an education. They don't have any training. It seems like that's one of the problems and one of the reasons why, um, you know, p- survivors of abuse run into such trouble uh, when they, you know, try to go forward. Um, what do you think about that? Is that, to your mind, you know, one of the key reasons why this happens? You know, ultimately, as I was sitting there and watching this film, you know, I was getting more and more frustrated and angry. I'm like, oh, this is so, <laughs> like, you know, so why do you think our court systems and the police and lawyers are failing survivors of assault and abuse? Like, what is it about this crime that causes them to constantly block or deny or ignore claims or just handle it so, so poorly? Well, I I think you hit on one of the uh, fundamental reasons, and that is the lack of training on um, in handling trauma-affected litigants, Mm -hmm. uh, especially those who were traumatized as children. Many judges, lawyers, police, prosecutors have not been trained, although that is starting to change, I'm I'm happy to say. And there are some police, yeah, some police departments and some prosecutors' offices who are finally giving their people the training that they need to do a competent job. And that makes uh, an enormous difference in the way that these cases are handled. Um, In in addition to that, Rachel, as as you know, um, there's been a myth for years in sexual assault cases that many of the reports are false. Right. And I think the legal system too often has viewed these cases, especially 
uh, child sex abuse cases where the crimes are often committed years and even decades before the survivor comes forward. Mm-hmm. And and uh, police departments and prosecutors and judges have for too long looked uh, with skepticism on those uh, uh, reports that they think are untimely and therefore cannot be true. Yeah. Now, I think that is changing also, and I, I think uh, recently with the Me Too movement, uh, maybe we're reaching a, a cultural shift. Of yeah, sorts. I you hope know, so. But, yeah, we all hope so. Survivors are being believed, and um, and 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 I think that that in and of itself can make it uh, uh, an important difference in the way that cases uh, are handled in court. That's really important. Um, thank you for sharing that. I, I think that, you know, what you're hitting on there, that, that piece of the puzzle where the first instinct is to disbelieve and has been that for such a long time. Do you have a statistic or a number? I feel like I read somewhere, but I don't want to put false information out there, that a false reports are somewhere in like the 5% range. Exactly. Um, that's it? Okay. Yeah, between like 2% and 5%. 2 to 5%. Yeah. And yet somehow, right, this is how the human brain likes to work, right? <laughs> we go from the, the minor and we make it the major. And and then you have the people who just think, well, you know, I have to start from the place of um, disbelief. So, yeah, beginning to do – and, boy, that's so tough, you know, for survivors of abuse because they themselves – have spent, you know, a long time even sometimes coming to accept their story, right? They've gone through their right. own journey of denial and disbelief and silencing themselves and then to step into a system where they're looking now for support and advocacy, but then to, you know, get back, well, you must be making this up. Why did you wait so long? You know, da da da, all that stuff. Um, it's just exactly. traumatizing. Yeah. Yeah, and it discourages uh, many survivors from coming forward. Yes. Uh, you know, because they, they just don't want to have to deal with that uh, in trying to enter the legal system. Yeah. Uh, so we are talking to survivors now and trying to <clears throat> kind of extend the Me Too movement uh, mm-hmm. to, to about sex abuse survivors, not to just adults. Yeah. Uh, adults who have been uh, sexually traumatized in one way or another, but, but to adult survivors of child sex abuse. Right. Yeah, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me as I was watching the film was how over and over, I think all three of them, if I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong, but all three of them, you know, started this process. They were coming from a place of strength, a, pra- a place of fortitude for, um, was it Sherry who wanted to protect? She was actually trying yes. to protect another child. Right. and ha- So had all sorts of, you know, incentive and motivation to just go. I remember her saying, you know, at some point in the film, like, I didn't really care about me at this point. I just wanted to make sure that this other little person didn't get harmed. But, right. you know, day after day after day, month after month after month of things being, well, this isn't, you know, you can't do that. And, oh, and all this questioning and delays, like her case was delayed and delayed and delayed. All three of them at some point just, it was almost like they just had been beaten down and couldn't do anything but say, all right, I'll take the plea. Yeah, I think that, that's absolutely what happened in Sherry's case. It yeah. took over it took over a year for her from the time she reported 
for the case to even be taken to a grand jury, which is kind of the beginning of the court right. process. Um, and then her case was continued time after time. She had very little contact with the prosecutors. They would uh, have somebody from their office call her on the phone and say, your case isn't going forward again. It's being continued. Uh, and finally, as you say, she just decided she just couldn't go through it any longer, and she agreed to a plea. Mm -hmm. uh, Tammy tried to push it all the way to trial, and the prosecutor in her case refused to do that and entered into a plea agreement uh, with her perpetrator without her permission, essentially. Mm -hmm. And remind me, I'm forgetting the guy's name. In Jamie. The Jamie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, he was really wrapped up because he had been doing a film, and so all of that pressure of, well, we're going to, you know, pr um, prevent your film from being put out, these sorts of different things, really, you know, very threatening tactics, um, and asking him to, you know, recant his statement, um, these sorts of things. And, you know, Neil, when I was, I, I was really, like, tearful when I was watching that because the plea deals, I'm getting tearful now. They're um they're an insult. They're an insult. Absolutely. And and you know, time served, not ever being registered on the sex offenders list, uh, you know, probation. What does that even mean? Like what is like oh, they're you know, not going to go down to the shooting range for a day. I like I don't even get like what is probation for some Yeah, it's just so infuriating and it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's really heartbreaking. It is. Oh, absolutely it is. And uh, as I say, I think it, it serves as a deterrent to a lot of survivors who, who see what happens when other survivors go through the legal system and how little relief, how little justice they, they obtain and, and, and decide uh, that they, they don't want to go through that experience. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, Jamie's case was a civil case, mm. not criminal, uh, where he filed a lawsuit for money damages but his own lawyers uh, didn't represent him effectively and tried to pressure him mm -hmm. into, into a settlement that, as you say, involved uh, remaining silent for a year, taking a film that he had made about his uh, childhood experience, taking that off of the market, uh, essentially admitting that some uh, parts of the film were false, which, of course, they weren't. Right. And, and he just gave up and, and allowed the case to be <clears throat> Yeah. So, uh, you know, for those of you who've been listening for a while, you know that one of the things that I'm committed to in healing from sexual abuse is always asking the next question, which is, what do we do about it? <laughs> and so that is where I would love to go here. Like, so, okay, yeah, things are broken. Lots of people have been hurt and traumatized and um, really ill-served. What do we do about this, Neil? How do we change this? What needs to happen in order to um, produce different outcomes? Well, one of the one of the things that needs to be done, and we haven't talked about this yet, is changing the uh, the laws that govern the amount of time that survivors have to file cases. Yes. Mm -hmm. Called statutes of limitations, and and many states have statutes uh, that are not sufficiently long for survivors uh, who, as I mentioned previously, sometimes take years or decades to come forward for a number of different reasons. Right. And uh, I'm, uh, there is a, a movement afoot to reform 
uh, statutes of limitation. Some states have already done that. Uh, very few states have eliminated them in child sex abuse cases, although the movement is really to not only extend them, but to actually eliminate them. Eliminate, yeah. Eliminate. There, there are no statutes of limitations for murder. Right. And there shouldn't be any for child sex abuse either. So that that's, wow. that's one yeah. reform that uh, is taking place. As I mentioned, there is better training going on in many police departments and prosecutor offices, uh, and hopefully that is going to make a difference in the way that cases are litigated, survivor cases are litigated. Uh, I'm, I'm not aware specifically of any training of judges, uh, but that is also something that needs yeah, to be done. For and sure. We've had conversations with other professionals and bar associations in terms of reaching judges uh, so that they also know how the, these cases should be handled. Um, and, and beyond that, we have a couple of projects, Rachel, that we think are going to be uh, helpful to survivors who are seeking justice. Uh, we conducted a, an online survey with another group several months back about the uh, quality of the legal representation they received in going through the legal system. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, we're hoping to not only write a law journal article about the results of the survey, uh, but also to lobby bar associations um, to create a certified specialty in child sex abuse litigation. So Whoa. That lawyers, so that lawyers would have to be certified yes. based, based on their experience, the number of cases they've handled, the disposition of those cases, legal training, so that survivors will know uh, who they can consult in terms of going uh, to lawyers uh, to go through the legal system. Just um, so many survivors don't know where to begin, how to find a lawyer, how to choose mm -hmm. a lawyer. So we're hoping that uh, this sort of process uh, can occur and that that can uh, facilitate uh, survivors who want to go through the legal system. The, the other project uh, is a project that we're just beginning. Um, I, I can't tell you too, too much about it other than Ooh, it's, going to, <laughs> it's going to involve um, a way to anonymously report uh, for survivors electronically and to have a searchable database so that if you report that John Smith sexually abused you in Montana 10 years ago and someone else also reports about John Smith, we can link up these reports and see if both survivors want to take legal action because we've found over the years in dealing with these issues that there's really strength in numbers. For sure. Yeah, and survivors are more likely to come forward if other survivors of the same mm -hmm. offender uh, agree to participate. Yep. Wow. 
man, so oh man, I'm like I'm like got goosebumps. <laughs> I'm so excited about all of those things that you just mentioned and shared, and and really hope to see things to continue to push forward from the you know removal. Just eliminate that statue of limitations. It's just it does not belong here. Uh, it just it boggles my mind that it you know every you know it just even exists, and uh, to that level of training, I love this idea of having people specialized. You know, to my mind, you know, it is a um, you know it is a a very specific experience, and so having people who really understand the impact you know, how to work with survivors, how to navigate that process with them. Uh, oh, gosh, that's just going to make, you know, a huge, huge difference. And then, yeah, this opportunity um, to report anonymously. And, uh, man, that's really great to hear that you're working on those things and others are working on those things. So there's hope, everybody. <laughs> there's hope. That's we're working. Right. We're pushing forward. We're, we're striving for new levels and, um, and reform. Oh man, I'm I'm hopeful that 2018 is we're going to see some real movement uh, forward in terms of justice for survivors. I think mm-hmm. the, the time is right. As I say, I think the culture is changing some uh, sexual assault cases generally. So this is the time to push forward. Absolutely. So I want to go a little philosophical for a second with you, if you don't mind. And I want to talk about that word justice. You know, one of the things that um, my clients and the members of my Facebook group often ask is, Rachel, how do I get justice? Especially if I've been through the court system and I got, you know, like these experiences that we've been talking about, that it just never happened, the person's never really going to be, quote unquote, punished. Um, Or, like in my case, my grandfather died before any charges could be pressed. So there was no even, you know, opportunity to get justice through the court system. And the way that I often answer that is, you know, justice for me, the way that I've come to define that is for to live my life to the fullest and to really reclaim all that this person tried to steal away from me and really just embrace each opportunity to move forward in my life. And for me, that is getting justice, that this person doesn't get to, you know, impact or influence my life going forward. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this word justice, particularly for those folks who are not going to see justice through the legal system in the way of this person has been punished, this person has been jailed or fined. What does that look like to your mind? What does that mean? Well, I think I think the point you made is a good one, which is I think uh, justice is somewhat of an individual uh, thing in terms of um, Different people may see justice or seek justice differently. It's not just going through the legal system by any means. Uh, In the film, uh, Jamie, even after he dropped his case, mentioned that because of his film, uh, three or four of the people who had worked in the organization where he, um, it was a commune actually, who had worked in the commune where he had been sexually abused, stopped working and left because he had named them in his film. And he actually says in, in Off the Record, he believes that is the beginning of justice. Yeah. So, yeah. so for him, he found justice in, in making the film, 
um, in naming the perpetrators, and we have spoken and met with other survivors uh, who either haven't gone through the legal system or have gone through the legal system unsuccessfully, but who have found some comfort, if that's the right word, um, in uh, identifying their perpetrator in speaking the truth, um, either in court or out of court. Uh, and we see uh, this um, pursuit of justice, this journey for justice, either in or out of court, as part of healing for survivors. Mm-hmm. I think survivors who can tell their stories and can identify their perpetrators um, do usually find some element of justice. It may not be the complete justice that they seek. As you say, if your grandfather hadn't died, you might have wanted to go all the way through the court system. Uh, But we find too often that that the law and justice are two different items. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So you can find justice without the law. Uh, You can go through the legal system and still not find justice. So it's something that's really very personal, I think, to each survivor. Mm. I don't know if that made, Thank made you. sense. Oh, it made so much sense. I think there are going to be so many people who hear that and just breathe a sigh of relief. I that Even what you just said there, right there towards the end, there's a difference between law and justice or the legal system and justice. And to know that we can claim justice and we can create that, I love that idea that we can actually form what justice looks like to us. It can be very personalized. Um, that's empowering, Neil. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah, so awesome. So you've talked a little bit about you know what you all are up to next and the and the um, activities and projects that you're working on. Anything else as we start to wrap up today that you'd like to share um, with our audience? Uh, well, I would like to promote our film if I could do that. Yes. Uh, People who are interested in either renting or purchasing the film can go to uh, the websites for the film. Again, it's, uh, the first film is PursuitOfTruthFilm.com. The second one is OffTheRecordFilm.com. Or they can just go to Vimeo.com. And uh, our films are uh, can be rented or purchased uh, online. Awesome. So, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> no, I was just going to say I'm, I'm happy, as I said, to uh, speak to anyone who wants to contact me directly, either about the film, the films, or about any of the issues we discussed today, or about any other related issues. Mm-hmm. Um, if you send me an email, I will be sure to reply to you, and uh, we've done that with a number of survivors. We've stayed in touch with all of the survivors in both films and many other folks who've contacted us over the years. So um, especially you know, on the heels of this holiday season, which can be really difficult yeah, for many sure people can. and many survivors. So um, we want your listeners to know they're not alone. And uh, if you reach out to us, we will stand with you. Yeah, you know, thank you so much for your availability. So you can uh, reach Neil at thejustice101 at gmail.com. And you can also go to the uh, Vertigo website. It's V 
cfhelp.org and check out their blog, check out their resources. You can also contact via their online form. And please, if you're out there and you're wondering and have questions about this you know, process, do not hesitate. They know what they're doing. <laughs> they, they've got it together and they have so many great resources. Check out the films. Off the Record is about 20 minutes. And, um, and for me, it was not highly triggering for those of you who are wondering, like, oh no, but you know, it's sensitive, but so just be mindful when, when watching the films, but you know it's so so important to uh, to learn and to witness, and you might also find just consolation in knowing that you're not alone. That there are others who are, you know, going through this journey as well. So I really encourage you all to check out both Off the Record and Pursuit of the Truth. And um, in the meantime. Thank you all for, thank you, Neil, first of all, for being here with us and sharing your expertise and your heart with us. I'm so glad to have you in my world now and to know more and more about the, the work you're doing and the work that Vertico is doing. And um, for those of you who are tuning in and joining us, thank you for being here. Uh, don't forget to visit the website, rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and to check out the other resources that are available on the site. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a comment if you're loving what you're hearing and then tune back next time because we have so much more to share. And in the meantime, take really good care of you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Rachel. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.